Welcome to Living Bread Radio Presents, a program designed to teach and evangelize about the Catholic faith through various speakers and presentations given in the local listening area. Today's show features Steve Ray and his talk, Peter, the Rock, the Keys, and the Chair, recorded at the Gift of Faith Conference in June 2008. And now, Steve Ray. No longer this false god Pan, the god, a false god of sheep and shepherds. And by the way, that's where we get the word panic. Because he's the horny goat with the head of a man and the back end of a goat. And he plays the pan flute and he chases the girls through the woods. That's where we get the word panic from him as well. Panias. But today, if you were to go there, you wouldn't, and you told a taxi driver, take me up to, to uh, Caesarea Philippi, he wouldn't know what you're talking about because today on the map it is the word banyas, B-A-N-Y-A-S or I-A-S. Why banyas? Because in the Arabic language they don't have a P sound. So when they try to say panyas, it comes out as banyas, and that's the name of it today. Still today, named after the god Pan from over 2,000 years ago. And so they came to worship Pan, and Jesus says, no, no longer this is the God of sheep and shepherds. I am the true shepherd. I will be the she- take care of my sheep. And Peter, you are going to be the rock foundation of the church. You are also going to be my shepherd. And how do we know that? Because the next thing Jesus says to him is, we're now shifting gears from the rock to the keys. Part two, the keys. You are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, when Jesus said that to them, he also, in Matthew 18, let me say, he gave the apostles, all of them, a similar authority. He said, all of you have the authority to bind and loose as well. This is the difference between the pope and the bishops. Peter has the keys and given the power to bind and loose, but all of the apostles, representing all of the bishops, have been given also a similar authority, except Jesus did a different thing. When he gave it to the apostles in Matthew 18, he said it in a different way. You know, in the South, I don't think you're South enough to do this, but when I talk in New Orleans or somewhere down there, they understand exactly what I'm talking about. When Jesus is talking to all the apostles, he says, y'all. He says, I give y'all the authority to bind and loose. Because in the Greek, it's plural. The word you can be said in a singular or a plural state. And down south, they're even cooler because they have three levels. If it's just one person, it's you. If it's a group of people, it's y'all. If it's a big group of people, it's all (laughs) y'all. And and you laugh, but I say it down there, and they go, yeah, so what's the point? Let's carry on with the story. Jesus said to them, I'm giving y'all the authority to bind and loose. But when he talked to Peter with the keys, he simply said, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth and loose in heaven, it's you singular. He's giving this to him alone, the keys. What do the keys represent? What are the keys? I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. It sounds important. I thought I had it figured out as a Baptist. I even wrote about it. The keys are given to all of us. What are the keys? The gospel message about Jesus Christ and being born again and asking him to come into your heart. The gospel message are the keys. If I could get a room full of Catholics like this and I could get them saved and born again, I just use the keys to open up the gates of heaven for them. Now they can go to heaven. They couldn't have before. 
But if I teach them and get them all born again and real Bible Christians, the keys, I open up the gates of heaven so the Catholics can get into heaven and the keys have been given to you as well. All you have to do is preach the gospel to people and they get to heaven and we're all using the keys. But the problem is, Jesus didn't give the keys to everyone. Jesus gave the keys to singular you, Peter, Kepha. Not all of us. What do keys represent? Keys represent exclusive dominion. I can't go out right now and get into your car and drive it to your house and move in. Because I don't have the keys. You have the keys, and the keys represent your ownership of the car and the house. You have exclusive dominion. Now, if you're going on vacation for a week, and you say, Steve, I would love you to take my car, here's the keys, and go to my house and stay there and feed the dog and water the plants while I'm gone, I would really appreciate that. Here are the keys. Now I can get in your car and go into your house and live there for a month, because you delegated to me the keys which are yours. Who owns these keys we're talking about here? Well, in order to know that, we have to put on our Jewish glasses and go back to the Old Testament, specifically to Isaiah chapter 22. Write down, if you're taking notes, Isaiah 22, 22. Because there we have, under the authority, the king of Israel. The king had a cabinet like the president does today. And he had different officers. One was called the friend of the king who could come in and talk to him. One was called the queen mother. <laughs> I guess who that was. There we talk about Mary being the queen. All you got to do is go back to the Old Testament and understand who the queen was for the king. The king always had a queen, but it was never his wife. The queen was always his mother. And she sat at his right hand and ruled with him in the kingdom. That's a whole nother talk. But there was another, that most powerful man in the kingdom, second only to the king, and he was called the royal steward. In Hebrew, it's the one over the house, the one put in charge of the house of the king. He carried the keys. He opened the royal treasuries. He opened the gates in the morning. He was in charge of the kingdom. The king could sleep in in the morning. The king could go off to battle. It didn't matter because his vice regent, his vizier, major domo, his royal steward, carried the keys and took care of his kingdom for him as number two. And the keys were not like us. The Romans invented the little keys we carry around in our pocket. We can be grateful that they did because the keys of the kingdom during the time of the kings were long like two-by-fours. Big, long, two or three foot wooden keys. And at the end of each one was those prongs because they'd have the, the gates were wide and they would slide these things through the gates and turn them and it would flip the switch on the inside and they could open the gates. So the guy walking around with a big two foot two by fours, three foot two by fours hanging over his shoulder, he was really something. And everybody bowed to him and he had a special robe that he wore. And he was called the father of Jerusalem. You read it in Isaiah 22. He had a special authority. Joseph, the one who was in the Egypt, he was called the vizier. He was the same. He had the royal signet ring of the king. Said everybody's to bow before him when he goes through the streets. The king had a royal steward to run his kingdom in his absence. Why is Jesus appointing a royal steward? Because he's going to leave. John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I leave and I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. But in the, in the interim, I'm going to be gone. Where are you going, Lord? Thomas said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How do we get there? Don't worry, I'll come back for you. But in the meantime, I'm leaving my royal steward to be in charge of my kingdom. And he gave Peter exclusively the keys of the kingdom of God. 
Binding and loosing, what does this mean? It's very simple. In the, in the biblical times, it was two of the most common words used that was dealing with law. Binding and loosing had to do with making laws and judging them, forgiving of sins. It had to do with excommunicating someone from the community or receiving someone into the community. And the way it could really be read is whatever you bind on earth will be ratified in heaven and what you loose on earth will be ratified in heaven. Peter and the apostles are given the authority to make binding laws for those who are in the church. So we say, who's the Pope to tell me what to do? I'll tell you who he is to tell you what to do. He's the royal vicar of Christ with the keys of the kingdom. You want to spit in his eye today, you're going to pay later. You don't walk up to the royal steward as he's riding on his horse through Jerusalem and tell him, I'm not going to do what you say. Who are you to have the keys? Boy, oh boy, you're going to be in stocks in no time. In the dungeon, nobody questioned. This is an authority from the king. And Jesus gave this authority to Peter. And the binding and the loosing gives Peter the authority to make rules and to judge them and to execute them, to excommunicate people and receive them back into the kingdom. This is what went with the authority there. And in my book, Upon This Rock, I go pages and pages on this, and mostly I use Protestant sources so they can't argue with me. When, Jesus, when, when the angel Gabriel came to Mary in the cave in Nazareth, he said to her, like Roz said, one name, her name was full of grace. That one name, by the way, in the Greek is kahare tomene. The angel said, hail kahare tomene. He didn't say hail Mary, hail kahare tomene, which means the Greek word, one who has been made full of grace. And then he said to Mary, you're going to have a son and his name will be Jesus and he will sit on the throne of his father David and his kingdom will have no end. And I think that one of the first things Mary said is, oh my goodness, I'm going to be a queen. Because she knew that it was always the queen, the mother of the king who was the queen. And she, her son, was going to sit on the throne of David, the king, and have an eternal kingdom. This is Jesus sitting on the throne as the king. And if he's a king, he's a good king. He's a Jewish king. He is the king following in the chair the throne of his father David, who is the quintessential Jewish king of all time from the tribe of Judah. And Jesus is the lion from the tribe of Judah. And here he is as a king. Who's his royal steward? Of course, every Jew would ask, well, if he's a king, who's he going to make the royal steward? See, they didn't think like me, the American Protestant. They thought like kingdom people who lived in kingdoms in Jewish times. See, we kicked the bums out, didn't we, 250 years ago? Kings and kingdoms and emperors and all of this hierarchy stuff. We kicked them all out and we believe in democracy. That's why I couldn't understand why you Catholics let some old man in Rome tell you what to do. This is America, for heaven's sakes, the land of the free and the home of the brave. It's by government for the people and by the people and of the people for us Protestants. So why do you let some Catholic guy tell you what to do? But Jesus, but the Jews wouldn't think like Americans. The Jews there would think like those, they had their own culture. What was their culture? Kings and kingdoms and emperors and hierarchies. That's what they knew. They didn't have democracy in America. They had kingdoms. And so when Jesus is appointing the keys to Peter, they knew exactly what he was doing. He's appointing him to be the vice regent, the steward over his kingdom. And these keys represented the king's authority. When Peter speaks, he's speaking for the king. He's not just an old man in Rome. He is the vicar of Christ carrying the keys. In the Sistine Chapel, when I take my groups there to Rome, I like to go in there because there's a magnificent 
painting of Jesus and Mary at his right hand and Peter at his left hand. And everywhere you go in Rome, you see Peter clutching the keys. Right in the front of St. Peter's, there he is with those keys. And he's saying to you, I am Peter and I am taking my job very responsibly here. You're not going to rip these from my hands. They've been entrusted to me and I'm going to do my job. Everywhere in Rome, he's holding those keys with that look in his eye that he's got a job and he's going to do it well by the help of the Holy Spirit. So help me God. But there's one painting, I've only seen it one time, where Peter is giving the keys away. It's in the judgment scene in the Sistine Chapel. And there he is, he's just handing them away. Who to? Jesus. Why? Because it's the end of time. It's the judgment day, the end of time. Peter is no longer needed as the vicar of Christ. We're now in the presence of the king, and he's given the keys back to their owner. You delegated them to me, Lord. I hope I've done well. I now give the keys back to you. You're the rightful owner. Now, on this painting, this is a little rabbit trail. On this painting, there's a, there's a cardinal who didn't like what Michelangelo was doing there because he was painting people with no pants on, and he thought it was vulgar. So he went to the Pope and he complained about Michelangelo's paintings and said, you tell him to go put clothes on those people to cover those private areas. And the Pope said, no, you let Michelangelo, it's his masterpiece. And so the Cardinal gave Michelangelo so much trouble that finally Michelangelo got mad. And when he painted, there's purgatory and the resurrection. And down here in this corner for your direction, down here is hell. He paints the Cardinal's picture down in hell. Not only did he paint the cardinal's picture down in hell, but he's the head guy in hell. (laughs) And there's the serpent wrapped around the cardinal's legs, biting the appropriate parts. (laughs) And the cardinal was furious, and he went, and this is a true story. And the cardinal went to the Pope and he said, You tell Michelangelo to take me out of hell. And the Pope said, I'm sorry if he had painted you in purgatory, there's something I could do for you, but once you're in hell, there's nothing I can do. (laughs) And he remains there to this day. (laughs) I hope he's not actually there, I hope he's in heaven. But these are the keys of the kingdom. Now, the chair. I only have a few minutes left, I want to touch on the chair. First of all, succession, because it relates to the keys. Okay, what about, even many evangelicals will agree that Peter had the keys and it was a special authority given to him while he lived, and that he was the head of the church to get it started, but once Peter died, that was the end of it. There was no more a need for those keys or for Peter or whatever. It was just a symbolic thing to get Peter up and running, you know? Once it got up and running, we didn't need it because now the Holy Spirit was there and we had the scripture, so everybody had the word of God for themselves. They don't need a pope to teach you anymore, you know, uh, Peter anymore, so they now have just um, independent churches and so on. But where even evangelicals would draw the line at this point is that succession. It's when we say that Peter today, the Pope today, is a successor of Peter and that authority is carried down. No, 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 that's, that can't be the case. See, No, that's not what it's intended to be. But if you look at what it's built upon, it's built upon the Jewish view of the kingdom and the royal steward. When the royal steward died or was disqualified, they didn't throw the keys away. They gave the keys to a successor who then held the office of the royal steward. In America today, when, when uh, Kennedy and Lincoln were shot and killed, what was the first thing that went through everybody's mind in America? Who will succeed and be our president? They didn't say, oh my goodness, the presidency is over. 
What are we going to do? No, we know there's a successor. The seal of the presidency doesn't fall off the wall. You don't burn down the White House. Someone succeeds to that office. When Jesus appointed Peter with the keys, he didn't just appoint Peter with the keys, he established an office. And the office went on because the keys represented authority that's passed on from one to the other. In Isaiah 22, the transition is going between Shebna, who was a bad one, to Eliakim, who is now going to become the new one. There's a succession. The keys are handed down, and that's the way it happens in the church. The keys went from Peter to Linus to Cletus to Clement all the way down to Benedict Sixteenth today. Praise God. 256, if I remember right. Is that right? 256. Never teaching error. And do you know that Pope Benedict is not the successor of John Paul II? Pope Benedict is the successor of Peter. Every pope today succeeds Peter, not the pope before him. Now the chair. Go all the way back to Mount Sinai again. And at the Mount Sinai, when Moses went up on the mountain, he came down with the Ten Commandments. Oh, by the way, who was the first man in history to break all Ten Commandments? At the same time, Moses, when he threw them all down on the mountain, Moses went up on the mountain and he came down with three things. He had the written word of God on stone. He had the oral Torah, the, written, the non-written part of the law, the tradition, and he had the teaching authority of Moses. Does that remind you of anything we have in the church? The written word of God and inspired scripture, the sacred tradition, and the chair of Peter. So we have Moses coming down with these three things. In Exodus 18, it says he took his seat, cathedra, he took his seat among the people and he judged them day and night. And it was passed on, like I told you before, through the judges and the prophets all the way down to the great assembly. And then they failed to live up to God's command. God always says, you're like the woman, my bride, who went out to play the harlot. And he gave up on him and he chose Mary to start over again. But what he also did is the 12 tribes becomes the 12 apostles. The chair of Moses is now the chair of Peter. The power to bind and loose that they had is now the power to bind and loose that the apostles have. Jesus is starting something new in the upper room, by the way, which I love to take people to in the upper room. It says that there were 120 names. You read it in the Bible, it says 120 people. But if you look at it in the Greek, it's the word names. 120 names were in the upper room. Do you know why? Because Jesus is starting a new Israel. And in Jewish custom and tradition, written down in the Mishnah as we know now, that in order to start your own community with your own synagogue and your own courts, you needed 120 names on a list. There was a quorum. There were enough in the upper room to start a new community, a new society, which would be called the church. And Jesus is appointing Peter to be in head of that church. The chair of Moses has changed over to be the chair of Peter. Now, the chair of Moses, he could teach from that. And there was chairs in the synagogues. We're taking groups now on what we call Pilgrimage Part Israel Part 2. For those who've gone to the first part, we're going to new sites. And one of them is Chorazin, where it's one of the three cities that Jesus spent most of his time. And in that synagogue, they found one of these stone chairs called the chair of Moses. So it's in the Israel Museum now. And these rabbis would sit in there and teach. And while they taught what they taught, you had to obey. Matthew 23, verse 2 says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in the chair of Moses, therefore do whatever they tell you. Jesus is establishing a new chair. So when the Pope today 
thinks he's just sitting in the chair of Peter, which has a 2,000-year history. He's actually sitting also in the chair of Moses, which has another 1,500 years beyond that. So for 3,500 years, the people of God have been able to hear and trust the words, Thus saith the Lord. That's why I'm a Catholic and why I will die a Catholic. People say, what are you? They think they want to tell me, what's my career? What's a... I say, I'm a lot of things. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a business owner. I'm a guide in Israel. But number one, you want to know who I am? I'm a Catholic. That's my identity. Made in the image of God, I'm a Roman Catholic. Infallibility, very quickly. How could Peter be infallible? In one chapter, he's saying, good for you, Peter. God has revealed this to you. In the next minute, get behind me, Satan. How can we trust a man like this to be the head of the church and say he's infallible? What kind of joke is this? One of the saints said that Jesus picked the weakest link first in the chain, one who even denied him. But infallibility, if Jesus is going to give to Peter the kind of promise he did, whatever you bind on earth, I'll ratify in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, I'll ratify in heaven. Jesus could not give that promise to Peter unless he fully intended to superintend Peter's mouth. When Peter was walking on the water, he got out of the boat and started walking on the water. He was falling in. And Jesus reached down and picked him up and he got him, pulled him out of the water. People laugh and said, what a dummy, you know, he falls in. Why didn't he just keep believing? Well, for, first of all, remember, everybody else stayed in the boat. He's the only one that even had the courage to get out and try. And he did walk on the water for a while. And then what happened? He started to sink and Jesus picked his hand, pulled him up by the hand. And what we forget is that Peter then walked on the water all the way back to the boat. Didn't he? He, wa- he didn't swim back to the boat. Jesus reached down and picked his hand up and Peter walked all the way back to the boat. How? By the assistance of Jesus. I think you can't get a better picture of papal infallibility than that. The Pope on his own may go a short way, but he's going to sink unless Jesus is there to take him by the hand and walk him back to his boat. And what is the boat? It's called the bark of Peter, the church. Jesus, remember, spoke from Peter's boat. Jesus still speaks from the bark of Peter today. So the infallibility is not saying that the Pope is always right. The Pope isn't any better at guessing the weather or sports scores than you and I. That's not what makes him infallible. It's a negative protection. It doesn't mean that when the Pope speaks, it's going to always be 100% accurate, timely, and eloquent. Nothing to do with a promise like that. Because many times the Popes have spoken very ineloquently at the wrong time, and it hasn't always been right. What it promises is that when a pope speaks under certain conditions, as the pastor of the universal church, intending to define doctrine with the authority of the chair and of his own free will, he cannot teach error. It may not be pretty what he says. He may not say it with eloquence, but it will not contain error. That is what infallibility means. If people out there realized what infallibility means, they wouldn't be so critical of it. Infallibility just means that the Holy Spirit of God protects the Pope from teaching error at certain points. That's all it means. But what a gift. We have 2,000 years of church history with popes that have taught and written untold numbers of pages and speeches and words, and in their capacity as Pope, there has never been heresy taught. 
what are the chances of that? After 256 of them, the papacy is the oldest existing office in the world. The Roman Empire fell. The Egyptian kingdom fell. The Byzantine Empire fell. The Ottoman Empire fell. Britain used to be able to say the sun rises on Britain because they were around the world. It fell. Someday the Western world as we know it in America won't be the same, especially if we keep going the way of Sodom and Gomorrah. We won't be like we are. This kingdom will fall, but there will always be a man on the chair of St. Peter and he will be there until the end of time if it's 10,000 years from now because it's Jesus who builds his church. He's already the oldest existing institution in the world and it will be there until the end of time because this is Jesus' work, not the work of man. Again, why I'm a Catholic. And that's, again, why I'm a Catholic. And I just want to show you this in closing. This will make you proud. You should have one of these up in the radio station. There's your history. 256 successors of Peter, all the way from Peter, Linus, Cletus, Clement, down to John Paul II. And they don't, this is an old one. It doesn't have Benedict in here yet. I'll have to paint his picture in there. And they say there's thir- these are paintings in uh, the Church of St. Paul outside the wall. They say there's only 13 medallions left, so the Lord better come back soon. (laughs) They'll run out of places to paint the popes. But here's your history right here. 265, 56 infallible teachers of the gospel, teaching from the bark of Peter in the church in Rome, and this is why I'm a Catholic. This makes me proud. I used to be in a church that was 30 years old. Oh, we're 30 years old. Oh, big deal. Look at this. When was your church started? Well, I'm a Methodist. It was with the Wesleys back in England in the 1860s. Oh, yeah? Let me show you something. Baptist. Oh, we've been around a long time. When? Since a guy named Smith spelled with a Y instead of an I was in England. It's the late 1500s. Oh, yeah, look at this. This is the church I belong to. I belong to the church Jesus founded in the gates of hell, have not and will not prevail until the end of time, and they won't prevail then. They will not prevail ever. And when Jesus comes back again, there will still be a pope sitting on the chair of St. Peter, being blessed by God. Be proud to be Catholic. Be proud to be in a church like this and obey the bishops. Love the bishops. Don't criticize the bishops. Love them and pray for them. And be glad that you're Catholic. Thank you. We hope that you've enjoyed this production of Living Bread Radio Presents. For a copy of this program on Compact Disc, Call 330-966-2903 or send an email to orders at livingbreadradio.com and reference the program broadcast date. This has been a production of Living Bread Radio in Canton, Ohio. Join us again next week at the same time for more Living Bread Radio Presents.